kids to know that we love them, we celebrate them. We say it every week. We want them to know what heaven sounds like every day that they wake up, and that's what it sounds like for them. And we want to be a people that helps them see it, helps them hear it. So we're excited tonight. We're launching into a new series on prayer. We're going to be in this series this entire month. And my, my hope, my hope, is, is not that you're going to learn something about prayer you didn't already know, but that, that through this series you're going to become more of a person of prayer. We don't want to just increase your, your knowledge of prayer. We, we want something through this series to set you free from whatever you need to be set free from so that you can pray more. We want to inspire you to become a person of prayer. We want to excite you about prayer. We want to cheer you on in your journey and your life to become a person of prayer. And so to, to kind of get us thinking along the right direction, right? Because church for us at the City Life Church is a participatory sport. Nice, nice. Yeah, you guys paying attention? Come on. All right, so, so what are some abbreviations or, or maybe better said acronyms that are famous or, or popular or things that you use on a, on a regular basis? Because I've been thinking about it all week, so I'll give you a couple while you're, while you're getting warmed up. Right? Shooting is a new passion of mine, right? And, and so, 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 so one is EDC, Everyday Carry. Your EDC, that's the, if you're a concealed carry permit holder, that's the gun that you carry every day. You have lots of different kinds of guns, right? I'm just telling you guys, holsters, those are purses for men, right? If you're, if you're not sure why your wife has to have so many, so many purses, you become a shooter, and then all of a sudden you will have a moment of revelation, right? And your wife wants you to become a shooter because then you'll give her permission to buy all those purses because then she'll give you permission to buy all those extra holsters that you, that you want to get. All right, all, right, all right, so that's one for me, EDC. What's, what's one? April. LOL. LOL. Laugh out loud, right? Oh, so, so, okay, this is really funny. Can I just tell a quick story about that? So, who was it? It was Sharon Stells, uh, the, the pastor of, of uh, House of Prayer down in, uh, outside of Richmond. She thought laugh out loud meant love you lots. Lots of love. Yeah, true story. So, yeah, oh, yeah, she's getting it already. That's great. You can laugh at all my jokes. That's that much, Lynette. So she was getting, like, really serious texts from people, like, yeah, here it comes. I mean, it's good, isn't it? I don't even have to tell the rest of the story because you got it already, right? Like, my grandmother died, right? My husband lost his job. Sharon Stells, LOL. Right? The church is half the size it used to be. I thought it meant lots of love. Yeah, yeah. so you got to be careful with these abbreviations. All right, that's all right. I just had to slip that in for free. Slip that in for free. Back in the corner, Denise. Estimated completion date, E-C-D. Yeah, that ring a bell for anybody? Yeah, come on, come on. Somebody else. Sabra? A-K-A, also known as, for all you people with aliases. Scotty? Kiss, which is? Keep it short and simple. Keep it simple, son. We, I talk, we were talking about that to somebody this week. We say, come on. There it is. A-S-A-P. All right, he was the first to say it, so he gets the giveaway. Come on. I know. It was right on the screen. Any of you could have said it. It was free game. I'm just saying. It was free game, and he got it. So do you, I don't know if you got the Kevin Tully's new CD, right? All right, nice, nice. We do giveaways at the City Life Church as well. It was on the screen, just saying. Right there, right there. All right, somebody else. A couple more. You don't want to participate anymore now that the giveaways are gone, right? I'm not playing. Wayne? RSVP, yes. CLC, come on, City Life Church. 
Rice, and, what is, and, and that's, what is it, rest, ice, compression, elevation? Yeah. Or the brat diet, you know the brat diet, bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast, right? Which many of us had to eat after the Wings Challenge last weekend. All right, last one. FYI. FYI. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, Court. Clad. Clad. Little, little inside knowledge for the October series coming at you. Coming at you, Derek. YOLO? I have no idea what that means. You only live once. I didn't know that one. YOLO. YOLO. My own son is educating me right here in front of you. You saw it happen. I am old. You know you're old when you don't know what YOLO means. All right, let, all right let's do a survey. Who here did not know what YOLO meant? See? I just did that to make myself feel better about myself. You only live once. Did you know what that meant, honey? Yeah? That's good to know because I wouldn't want to be sharing stales using misappropriating that. So let me share some thoughts. We want to invest a little bit, just laying some, some groundwork for the series. When we're in a crisis, when we have needs, when we are waiting for something we cannot imagine living without, when our situation seems hopeless, this is the one I like, when our turn has not yet come. You ever felt that way in your relationship with God? You know who you are, right? You're the one that's always changing lines. When you're, when you're somewhere, you're, you're backing up, you're moving into the other, whether it's at the bank or you're going into Bush Gardens. The, it seems like every other line is always moving faster until you get in it and that becomes the slow line, right? And for some of you, that's how you feel in, in your journey, in your, in your life with God. It seems like God answers everybody else's prayers faster than he answers yours. It's like you're in the slow prayer line of heaven, and it feels like your turn has not yet come. God simply says ASAP. When, you, when you're in an as-soon-as-possible circumstance, God's response to you every time is as soon as prayer. When you're in an as-soon-as-possible circumstance, when you're in a situation or circumstance where you feel like this has to happen tomorrow, God has the same response every single time, and he says, as soon as prayer. If what you are waiting for hasn't happened yet, pray, because prayer is what God is waiting for. We're going to be talking about that in this series. And if you have already prayed, pray again. We're going to be talking about that in this series. Because prayer is the only place that you will find the patience, the endurance, and the perseverance to continue trusting in the timing of a sovereign God. I think sometimes God delays the answer that we're seeking, the thing that we're desiring, is because it motivates us to get on our knees, and being on our knees changes who we are. We're going to be talking about that in this series. Come on, we're wetting your appetite. All right, Job 21.15 says, Who is the Almighty, and why should we obey Him? We're going to be digging into that part of the verse in the October-November series, but the last part of the verse is where we're going to kind of launch into for this series. What good will it do us to pray? It's a great verse, isn't it, in the Bible? So many of the verses in the Bible are, are, are intended to instruct us and teach us, but some of the verses are put in there to let us know that God knows exactly how we feel. And for some of you, you live with this Job 21:15 sentiment in your heart. Does it even matter? Will it make a difference? For some of you, I've thought this before, if God knows what I'm going to ask, even before I ask it, the Bible talks about that, then why do I even have to tell him? And if he loves me, why do I have to ask him for it? Why doesn't he just give it to me? Right? Am I the only one in here that's ever felt that way or thought that way or said those things? Right? 
We're going to be talking about in this series, this idea of prayer, this experience about prayer. Again, so that you're going to walk away from this series more a person of prayer so that prayer begins to define who you are as a person. All right. So I was in a little country church one bright, beautiful Sunday morning because they didn't have the Saturday night revelation yet. That's what we say here at the Saturday Life Come on, City Life Church. The townspeople were all present, listening to the organ play, because KG couldn't be there with a the keyboard. <laughs> it says, suddenly, Satan appeared at the front of the church. Some of you said, oh, I've been to that church. Everyone started screaming and running for the entrance, trampling each other in frantic effort to get away from evil incarnate. Soon everyone was evacuated from the church except for one elderly gentleman who sat calmly in his pew. And if you've ever been to an old country church, you know what that's about because you have a place where you sit and you do not want to sit in the wrong place, right? Not moving, seemingly, um, seemingly oblivious to the fact that God's ultimate enemy was in his presence. Now this confused Satan a bit, so he walked up to the man and said, don't you know who I am? The man replied, yep. Sure do. Satan asked, aren't you afraid of me? Nope, sure ain't, said the man. Satan was a little perturbed at this, and he queried, well, why aren't you afraid of me? The man calmly replied, because I've been married to your sister for 48 years. <laughs> I know. All right, so let me back up. I'm going to repeat that. So there was a woman at the front of the church, and Satan walked up, right? I've been married to your brother for 48 years, right? Because turnabout's fair play. Right? Turnabout's fair play. So if that's your story, we have a great marriage conference coming up in November. A right, little plug for the marriage conference. No, come on, we just like to laugh a little bit as a church. But for some of you, even though it's a cute little story, it's a nice little anecdote. For some of you, it feels that way. Not, not your marriage per se, but, but that sometimes it feels as though Satan shows up in your life, taunting you. Everybody else is running and frantic and afraid. For some of you, you've been in a crisis of such proportion, it feels as though evil is there. I've been in situations and circumstances like that before. You've been in situations and circumstances like that before. And you know what? We're going to be in situations and circumstances like that in our future. It's going to be in our future. We're going to face troubled times in our lives. That's part of why prayer has to define who we are. We want to be able to stand in those places with a sense of calm, with a sense of confidence, not because we're arrogant, not because we're in a place of denial, not because we're in, in, in a place where, where, where there's a, a self-righteousness, where we think that we're untouchable to the, to the difficult times of this world. We want to stand in a place of calm in those moments of crisis because we've been living our lives in such a way where we've been moving from one moment to the next of having an audience with the creator of the universe. When you open up the Bible and begin to read in earnest, not to check something off, but because you're hungry for what this book can do to the very depth of your soul, and you're reading in the Gospels because you want to learn about who Jesus is, we're going to be talking a lot about that in the October-November series, you begin to see that he just walked through this life with this incredible calm. There's never a time where he just seemed like he was hurried. There was just, even when he was facing the devil himself in the wilderness after he had not eaten for 40 days and for 40 nights. Come on, if you had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, that alone would be enough to make you frantic. There was just a calm about him because he was a person of prayer. 
because he lived his life when he was on this earth and time after time after time after time on his knees. When other people were sleeping, he was praying. When other people were out just hanging out, he was praying. Not that Jesus didn't know all of those things too. We read about the, just the, the joy that he experienced in this life, but he found time. And I'm going to just have to say he was probably busier than any of us would ever will be. He found time to pray. Because he knew that prayer would put in him a sense of confidence that he would need to face whatever that day would bring. As we get to the other side of this series, we want you to be able to walk into this life with the same kind of confidence because you're coming out of a place of having had a conversation with your Father in heaven. Prayer is not so much about what he does for us, but what he does in us. Prayer is not so much about what we get, but who we become. I like that picture of that P for prayer that's, that's on fire. There's that verse in Jeremiah that Pastor Justin has, you know, inked across his chest that his word is fire in my bones. I want the word of God to be fire in my bones. You know how it gets there? You pray it into there. You pray his word, it becomes a part of who you are. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, come on, as we're just laying this foundation before we dig around into some of the reasons why we're not people of prayer, that's where we're going to go in just a few minutes. But 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it's one of the most daunting verses about prayer that you're going to find in the Bible. It says, pray without ceasing. In some translations, it says, never stop praying. And we read verses like that and we say, how is that possible? There have been books trying to help us, right? If you've ever read a book like that, and I can do it for about 30, 40 minutes maybe, but then, right, the, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I can't pray every second of every day. And I'm not sure that's what God intended us to understand when the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write those words. This is my own, own, own interpretation of that, and I want to share with you. I've shared it before. I think what God was trying to say to us when he said pray without ceasing is make sure that prayer is something that you always come back to. I think that's what he meant. I think he was saying, hey, it needs to be one of those things you just keep coming back to it over and over and over and over and over again. And we understand that, right? Because for all of us, we go back to the table to get something else to eat. Some of us more often than others, right? Come on. I'm a snacker. I just keep on eating. Any sleepers? Any, na any nap takers in the house, right? You wake up from a good night's sleep, and one of the first thoughts you have is, I'm so glad my church meets on Saturday night because it's Sunday, and I'm taking another nap in about 45 minutes. I'm just going back to sleep. There's things in this life that we just keep coming back to. Prayer should be on that list for you. It shouldn't be your thing, I, I check it off, now I can move on to something else. We've got to be a person that just keeps coming back to prayer. We're going to be talking about why that is in this series. Anybody recognize that movie? Come on, 21. So in 1993, when Kevin Lewis was 20 years old and feeling aimless, he was invited to join the MIT Blackjack team organized by a former math instructor who said blackjack is beatable. Expanding on the high-low card counting techniques popularized by Edward Thorpe in his 1962 book, Beat the Dealer, the MIT group's more advanced team strategies were legal yet frowned upon by the casinos. Backed by anonymous investors, team members checked into Vegas hotels. The true story. The, the movie was not so historically accurate, but there's a great book out there that explains the true story. It's fascinating. 
They would check into Vegas hotels under assumed names and pretending not to know each other, communicated in the casinos with gestures and card count code words. So their system was a mathematically based where they were counting the cards and every blackjack table had a number assigned to it. And the higher the number, the hotter the table, so the more aggressively they would bet. And they had these really creative code words. You can pull it up online. Like if the count was 17, which was super, super high, the code word that they would use, they'd work it into a sentence, the word magazine, because 17 was a popular teen magazine. So they had all these word associations that they had memorized to communicate the counter to the player. Taking advantage of the statistical nature of blackjack, the team raked in millions of dollars before casinos caught on and pursued them. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Because for some of you, that's what prayer has been about. God's the house, and you want to crack the code, and you want to get as much as you can. That's what prayer. Maybe you came out of churches, and that was the focus on prayer. There's been whole streams of theology that just frustrate me to no end that that defines prayer as a way for you to get stuff. I promise to you as a church, if you're looking for a church to call, we're not going to teach you how to get more stuff. We're not going to teach you how to get more, but we are going to teach you how to be more. And if in being more you get more, then so be it. We're not afraid of wealth, but that's not our end game. Our end game as a church is not to build your wealth. Our end game as a church is for you to get to the end of your days and that you look back over your journey and that you can see the character of Christ forming in you more and more and more because that's the only way that you're going to experience the depth of eternal life that God is desperate for you to find this side of the heaven that waits for you. You might have a lot. You might not have much at all. But if the character of Christ is going to get formed in your life, I'm telling you, prayer is going to take you there. And I want to be a pastor where people at the end of my days, come on, one day when I'm retiring a long time from now and passing that baton right to somebody. I want people that have been a part of this church to be able to say, come on, because I was a part of the City Life Church, I am not the same person I used to be. I'm not the same person that I, and I don't want to be the same person as a pastor, I don't want to be the same person. We, we say we want to have an appetite to grow beyond recognition. Growing beyond recognition. I'm telling you, if prayer is not a part of your journey, then little change is going to come for you. Little change. So why is it? Why is it that, that we're, we, we know so much about prayer, we, we sit through services like this, and, and our hearts get excited about the possibility of prayer, but we go out and we just don't pray anymore, Right? Is that many of our story? We've, set, we've read books. We, why is it that, that when we look into our lives that prayer is just not more a part of who we are? So we're going to, I think, have time to knock out a couple of these tonight and then we're going to pick up some more next week about the idea of why not and then we're going to talk about the why for a little bit towards the end of the series. But, so why, why is it that when you look into your life, when I look into my life, I think to myself, I should be praying more than I, than I do. I think procrastination is one of the reasons why. So, so, and we're going to talk about procrastination in this light. So what are some examples of times where you've prayed and God has told you to do something and you've not wanted to do it? Just like a one, not a, not a big story, just one, one or two words. Come on. Because all of you have always done exactly what God has told you to do the first time. Stephanie, invite someone to church. Yeah, right? We don't do it. God puts it in our heart and we just, we don't do it for whatever reason. I saw some other hands back here. Chrissy. Go on a mission trip to Mexico. Yeah, come on. Talk to a neighbor about Christ. Amanda, confront someone. Yeah, it's not easy, is it? Okay, for some of you it's easy, but for the rest of us it's not. 
It's really hard. It's really hard. All right, somebody else. Neil. Turn off the TV. Ouch. Oh, ow. You can say ouch at the same Come on. I know. Move. Yes. Moving. How about giving? Anybody ever, you've been in a place of prayer and God told you to give a certain amount of money and you're thinking, la, 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 right? When I first became a Christian when I was 23 years old, I learned early on, you bring, you bring that was, you know, that was before the, the, the days where, you know, you only had a credit card in, in your pocket and you actually had cash when you, when you went to places. I learned early on, you take many denominations of bills into a church service because if God speaks to you to give and you only have a $50 bill, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> so I want to give God options. George Washington, Hamilton, somebody else. Was somebody else, anybody else? Something that God's spoken to you about? Anybody else been in a place of prayer and God's talking to you about an area of your life that maybe is an issue of morality and he says, I want you to stop doing that? Yeah, come on, right? When we step into places of prayer, God has some things to say about how we live And oftentimes we walk away from those places of prayer and we don't want to do what he said. And so we become a person that prays less and less because every time we go back to that place of prayer, it reminds us of things that we're not doing that we're supposed to be doing. And we see this playing out through Scripture. Come on. Exodus 14, 15 through 16. Oh, this is a good story. Exodus 14, 15 through 16. Said the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? See, this isn't the verse that you think that we would be pulling up, right? For we're, talk, we're trying to motivate you to prayer, and right out of the gate, God said, what are you talking to me about it for? Right? So let's read it with, I think, the emotion that God had. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on the dry ground and quit your sissy crying all the time and just do what I say. Right? That's how I read it. You can read it however you want. We were at Ethan's first flag football game today, and the, there was a little boy on the, on the other team. On the other team, he, he made a mistake, and he was running right from one corner of the field to the other, crying. His dad was the coach, crying. And, and when he got about two-thirds of the way there, right, his dad stands up. Quit your crying and get back out on the field. It's like, come on, that's some good parenting right there. <laughs> but then you realize, in a way, it's what it was, because you know that little fellow's probably out there because he needs to learn, right? He needs to learn some strength about his life, especially as a young man. And he needed his father to challenge him in the moment. So, right, he wipes all the snot and the tears, right, on his, on his arm, and he turns around and he stomps back, you know, to the huddle. But he went back out. So, sometimes we need God to coddle us. Sometimes we need him to kick us in the seat of the pants. And so he's saying to Moses, why are you coming to me to pray about something that I've already told you to do. Why? Now his situation was not small. He had probably a million people that had left Egypt. You can read the story if you're not familiar with it. And, 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 and Pharaoh, right, Yul Brenner and all of his army, right? Wasn't he a great Pharaoh, Charlton Heston? He was an okay Moses, but Yul Brenner, man, he rocked that role of Pharaoh. He's, they got a whole army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side and they got nowhere to go. And so in a previous place of prayer, God tells Moses what to do. But Moses is like, really? I'm going to raise my hand and and you're going to part the waters? 
Like you, you're watching the History Channel and they'll talk about how it was, you know, they were in a shallow part and it was really windy that day and I'm just still trying to figure out how an entire army drowns in mud, but that's, you know, I was asking that question. Walls of water, you should read the story, it's magnificent. And it says that even the bed of the Red Sea was like dry land, it wasn't even muddy, so the Israelites could walk across. There are times in our lives where we come to a place of prayer and God tells us to do things that just seem like they don't make sense. And that's just part of the journey, folks. It's part, it's part of what faith is about. And, and, and one of the things that, that, that gets us all turned upside down with prayer is that we know exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't keep coming back to God and talking to Him about it. We need to, because it might be that we do lack courage. It might be that we do lack faith. It might be that, that we are a little bit concerned. It may be that we're just seeking some clarification, and we just need to be okay with the fact that sometimes God's going to comfort us and that sometimes He's going to push us a little bit, but He's perfect. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need. All of this story. This is in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. Joshua 5, 13. It says, when Joshua was, was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? Oh, come on, if we could come to God with that kind of attitude every time. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. It sounds a lot like the story of Moses, doesn't it? It's powerful. Joshua is Moses' successor, and Joshua did so. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites and not, no one leaving or entering, the Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark, which means that they were in front of the fighting men. That's an important distinction here. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And while the priests, and the, who were the musicians, this order of priests, there were three order of priests, so these would have been the, the musician priests, blow the trumpets. And when there is a prolonged blast of the order and you hear its sound, have all the people give a mighty shout, and then the city wall will collapse and the people will advance, each man straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, beginning in verse 6, summoned the priests and said to them, I wanted to give you an example of somebody who had great faith in a, a, a prayer encounter with God who got instructions that just seemed ridiculous. There were men that were born into Israel, as you study their story, that were born for war. God was raising up an army because they were going to have to go in and conquer a land and they were going to have to war to keep it. They were men, just like the little boy up here, right? Sarah's little boy, right? right? He just can't stop wrestling. As in, we need men like that, right? So you're looking up there, right? We, there, there need to be men who just are naturally aggressive. God puts that inside of people. I'm telling you, there were men, they, were, they could not wait for their first battle. I think, this is again my own personal interpretation, I think many of the weapons that they had was because when the Egyptian army was washed away in that sea, I think that was part of God arming the nation that was going to have to do battle to take the land. Armor and swords and spears, and they didn't have any of that stuff. Come on, they did now. And I'm telling you, there were some men, 
They could not wait to get to Jericho because they wanted to fight. And when Joshua comes back from praying, he's not expecting him to call a meeting with the musicians. He's expecting them to call a war council. And I'm just telling you, these are men of war. They would have been out surveying the forest, making sure there's enough timber for siege ramps and siege towers and battering rams. I got home late last night from the uprising in the movie Braveheart was on TV. I was like, I'm going to be up late tonight. Because you cannot, you, you have to watch that when it's on TV. It's a rule. It's a rule. That in the Godfather series. You cannot turn that off. I'm telling you, there were men there, they, were, they wanted to go, and they, and they wanted Joshua to meet with them to put together a battle plan. He, he did not want them to have a meeting with the musicians. And then, I'm, it's right there in the story, you can imagine, as word got back out into the camp, how are we going to take this city? Oh, we're going to sing to them. Right? These men here on the left, this guy goes home, Right? You can see the expression on his face. This is, a great, this is one of the great battle scenes right here. Oh, yeah. This guy right here, he gets a, a crossbow right through the neck, keeps on fighting. Great battle scene. Great battle scene. But this is the guy that's leading them into battle. Now, I don't have anything against Justin Bieber, but that's not the guy I want to follow to, t- to lead seats to a city. I'm just saying. But that's the story in the Bible. That's the story that's laid out for us. God says, you're going to sing and dance and play instruments, and you're going to win the battle. There are times that we step in to moments of prayer, and the instruction that we get is not what we expected to hear. But isn't it interesting, oftentimes the instruction that we get that we're not expecting us to hear postures us in such a way to make us even more dependent upon Him. And I'm telling you, there's a richness to living your life that way. And if you're a person here tonight, and you're not praying a lot because you've got a list of things that God has already asked you to do, come on, get that list out and just start checking it off. We are often reluctant to pray because we are reminded of what we haven't done and are confident that there is more to do. Because you know, right? When you go back there, he's going to add to your list. He's just going to give you some more stuff. And that's part of this life and this journey, which we're going to cover this other one. We got time for it. Come on. It's 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 a directive relationship with God. I like to say that your, your life as a devoted follower of Christ is life-defining, passion-filled, and then I always slip onto the end moment-by-moment moment governing. That's what changed for me when I was 23 years old and made a vow of devotion to Christ. I didn't know anything different. I didn't learn anything that was raised in the church, churches like this. Parents that had a, a deep abiding walk with Christ, they were great examples to me. I just did not like the idea of, of being in a relationship with someone that was going to have to tell me what to do all the time. It's called Surrender. And for many of you, that's the only thing that's standing in between you and the abundant life that Christ wants you to have is to just give it up and yield your heart to him. And that's one of the reasons why, that we shy away from prayer. We shy away from prayer because we know it reminds us of all the things that we've not done, but we shy away from prayer because we know it reminds us that we're supposed to be in a permission-giving relationship with the creator of the universe 
It's one of my favorite texts in the, in the New Testament about leadership, and we're not preaching on that per se tonight, but I'm gonna, I just want to reference it because it speaks to who we are at the City Life Church. But there's another portion in here that fits in to, to this idea of prayer. When we pick up in verse 7, it says, Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north from the province of Bithynia, but again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Picking up in verse 9, it says, That night Paul, come on, he had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. The leadership portion of this, it's so a big part of our church is that Paul gets the vision, but then at the end of this chapter, it goes from me to we. He gets a vision, but he submits that vision to the people that he's with. Then they confirm it, and it goes from being his vision to their vision. That's how we lead here at the City Life Church. I know I have a responsibility to say what's God saying, but then we've got a governance team and leaders that we give that vision to because it's got to go from me to we before it gets to you. All right, I'm just slipping that in. I hope you're looking for a church like that. But one of the things I love about this story is that we know Paul and his group, they weren't going to the province of Bithynia because, right, they closed their eyes and put their finger on a map and said, hey, let's go here. That seems fun. You know that as you begin to study the story of these men's lives, they were men of prayer, they fasted, they, they would have laid out fleeces to looking for confirmation that if this is the place that they were going to, it would have been birthed out of a place of prayer. God would have said, this is the place that I want you to go to, even though God knew that that's not where he was going to send them. Part of this idea of prayer is that even when you think God's already told you what you're supposed to do, you'd never stop praying because he might change it up on you. So for some of us, we don't pray because we don't like the idea of God giving us permission. But then for some of us, when we get the word from the Lord, the, what we're supposed to do, we stop praying because we think that he's already told us. But this is this idea of continuing to come back to prayer because sometimes God tells you to do something that he doesn't want you to do because he wants to change it up on you midstream because he's testing the obedience of your heart. And the reason why he's testing the obedience of our heart because he knows the thing that we're facing in that moment is so much smaller than the bigger thing that's waiting for us in this later moment and he's teaching us to obey here when the consequences aren't as great so be ready for when the moment comes in our future so we find him here and he has this vision right so he's going to go back to the we after being a me and saying okay now we're supposed to go here and you know there there's probably some conversation or Paul Paul we had a plan remember that prayer meeting back in Antioch God told us to go to this other place it's a great picture of leadership for us it's a great example of how we're supposed to live. Even in your life, even if you're someone, you're, you, you wouldn't define yourself as a leader, you have a responsibility for your own life. You're, so you're at least a leader of yourself. And sometimes you might be in a circumstance, in a situation, somebody was talking about moving before when we were doing the participatory moment, and maybe that you've come and you, you think it's a job change, and you go to your wife or you go to a friend and say, I think God spoke to me to do this, and you begin to get on that journey a little bit, and all of a sudden you feel like God is changing the plan, but you don't like the idea of God switching it up on you midstream. It's part of this journey as a devoted follower of Christ that there is something inside of us like Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord Father, just tell me what you want me to do. I belong to you, not to myself. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Come on, this is a, a place where we, we find that God can be a little bit scary. You ever read some encounters like that? It said, the Lord's anger burned against Israel again, and it stirred up David it stirred up David against them to say, 
Go count the people of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of his army, Go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the troops so that I can know their number. And Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times more than they are, while my lord the king looks on. But why does my lord the king want to do this? Because God had given specific instruction to them that they were not to do this count. They were not supposed to, to count because it was God knew that if they began to count their numbers, that they would begin to find their confidence in themselves instead of their confidence in God. And Joab knows that they were under strict instructions not to do this. But at the beginning of the chapter, it's frightening, isn't it? God is the one who has prompted David to do what formerly God has told him not to do. Yet the king's order prevailed over Joab, the commander of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army left the king's presence to register the troops of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and camped in Aor, south of the town in the middle of the valley, and then proceeded towards Gad and Jazir. And they went to Gilead into the land of the Hittites, and it keeps going on and on and on, and it talks about all the places they went to count all the people. And it says, when they had gone through the whole land, they returned to Jerusalem, picking up in verse 8, and at the end of nine months, come on, this is a long journey, nine months and 20 days, Joab gave the king the total, and it gives all the totals of the numbers. Listen to what it says in verse 10. After he was done, it says, David's conscience troubled him after he had taken a census of the troops. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. And when David got up in the morning, a revelation from the Lord had come to the prophet of Gad, David's seer or his prophet. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I am offering you three choices. Choose one of them, and I will do it for you. So Gad went to David and told him the choices and asked him, Do you want three years of famine to come on your land? To flee your foes for three months while they pursue you? Or to have a plague in your land for three days? Now think it over. It's not much of a choice, is it? Come on, can we just say that? Now think it over and decide what I answer I should take back to the one who sent me. And David answered Gad, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the appointed time from Dan until Beersheba and 70,000 people died. Okay, thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you next week. It's, it's scary, isn't it? It's scary stuff. Why would God tell David to do what he had already told him not to do, and then after he does it, he punishes the entire nation so 70,000 people perish. Now, I can't answer the justice part of that. That's just part of the mystery of who God is and us trusting in his sovereignty. But I do think I understand a little bit of what God was, was trying to accomplish. I believe that there are times in our lives where God turns us over to our own depravity he turns us over to our own humanity, not because he doesn't like us, but because he loves us. Because he's trying to reveal and expose something that's hidden inside of us to bring it to light so that we can deal with it. 
And one of the reasons as a church that we talk so much about these idea of relationships. Men, I'm telling you, you do whatever it takes to get to that men's getaway that we're doing in October. Life groups that are coming up, you do whatever it takes to get into those life groups. Because you need Joabs in your life so that when you come from a place of prayer thinking that you've got the freedom to do something that you know that you shouldn't, that you've got people, because Joab gave in and he shouldn't have as a good friend. He should, have, he should have stood stronger. I think that's part of the lesson of the story. Even when we come from a place of prayer, thinking that we've got permission to do something that we know that we shouldn't, and we're confident God has spoken to us, and oftentimes it was God that spoke to us, is because he's trying to teach us the dependence that we're supposed to have on other praying people. So I think that one of the reasons why God motivated David to do this is because because God saw this, this secret desire that David had in his heart, and so he's trying to bring it to light so that he can deal with it, so that, so that he can be free from this temptation. You know, when, when I think that God speaks to me about things for this church, we just don't go do them. I go to the governance team, and I submit those things to them. And you know why we've got a great governance team? Is because... 99.9.99% of the time, you know what their answer is? we got to pray about it because they're Joabs. But they're not Joabs who give up so easy. They're Joabs who say, you know what? We can't move forward with this until we know that God is speaking. This is the word for us. In my own personal life, I'm going to these guys, and I'm, I'm going to talk to them about things that I think that God's speaking to me because I understand this text. I understand that sometimes God speaks to me about the things that I'm supposed to do, but I know oftentimes that sometimes in my place of prayer, I'm the David because I've got stuff in my life that needs to be exposed. And so God gives me a sense of permission and something that I shouldn't do because he wants to bring it to the surface. And when I share it with people, it helps them see that there's something in my life that needs to be dealt with, trusted friends. And because they're people of prayer, then they can intervene in my life and help me deal with this thing. You tracking with me tonight? You and I need people in our lives who are people of prayer. People that we trust. People that we have given them permission to say no to us even when we play the God card. And we like to play that card, don't we? God said... There should be people in our life that we trust enough that even when we say, God said, they say to us, I don't think he did. If you don't have people like that in your life, I'm telling you, you're living a dangerous life, walking a dangerous path. We don't like to come to a place of prayer because oftentimes it reminds us of all the things that we haven't done and we don't like to come to a place of prayer because it reminds us that this life as a follower of Christ is one of surrender and one of total submission. It's a life that we say, God, you have control over me. This is a permission-seeking relationship that we have with each other. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We are often reluctant to pray because we are resistant to God's authority and are chafed. That's a good word, isn't it? Because you know all of you in this room, you've had a rash at some point in your life, and it was not fun. And are chafed by the challenge of others. We want to be a church that helps you find the kinds of relationships that need to chafe you when you need it. We want to be the kind of church that helps you discover a relationship with God where sometimes his voice comforts you, but other times his voice challenges you. We want to be a church that helps you 
not just learn information about prayer, but you're going to become, at the end of this series, more of a person of prayer because of where we walk together over these next several weeks. If you've got a list of things you're putting off, come on, then get on your knees and begin to ask God for the courage to pick that list back up and just start checking them off, and he's going to add stuff to it. Come on, run after those things with abandonment. And in your life, you've got some things that maybe you're confused about. Maybe you're walking in a 2 Samuel 24 journey. You need to pull some people in and let them into your story. You need to pull some people close to you and say, I need your help. You need to pull some people in and say, would you pray with me about this? And you fill in the blank. And I'm telling you, God is waiting for that moment where you just get on your knees. You're the woman tonight at the post office trying to figure out, did they actually go anywhere? Did they get to where, can, is someone going to be able to reach in them and there and take them and steal them? That, that you're that person tonight where, where you're just not sure what prayer is about. Come on, God is saying to you tonight, I know your name. I hear your cry. You're in my sanctuary and I have got an answer for you. Not to give you more, but to help you be more. Not necessarily to do it tomorrow because waiting might be what you need. Because I'm more concerned about your character than your comfort because the end game is not material possession. It is the character of Christ and I want to form it deep inside of you. Come on, let's sing this song together. Stand to your feet.